Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. That's can you all right. Can you... Yes, I hear you fine. Oh, good, good, good. How are, how are you? All good? I'm doing very well, yes. Oh, that's good. Thanks so much tomorrow, for doing tomorrow, this. Tomorrow, tomorrow's my birthday. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> is it really your birthday? Yes, April the 7th. Oh, 7th wow. 7th of April, yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. that's good good timing. Yeah, that's right. Right, <laughs> during, right before Easter, Good Friday, all that good stuff. Yeah. Are you, are, are, do you, uh, are you on Lent? Do you, do you give up it for Lent? Uh, yeah, yeah. Cho chocolate? No? I, I gave up drinking um, soft drinks like Coca-Cola and that. Okay, how's that going for you? Actually, I don't miss it. I've been drinking more water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first few days are hard because you're like, you know, your body's like going, oh, you need a bit of sugar. You're like, no, man. Or no. the caffeine. The caffeine yes. is the worst. Yeah, I think yeah. I had one day worth of headaches, but then... So my yeah. goal is not to go back to drinking them. See if I can stay away. That, that's the problem, isn't it? Because when you, you, you don't, when you're off them, you don't miss it. And then when you go back and have one, you're like, oh, I'll just have another. And then it slowly goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> you're not speaking from experience, are you? Oh, uh, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Jim, when you get into the gym and you get, you get in shape and you're like, oh, I'll just have a few bits of chocolate. And then it slowly, gradually goes worse and worse. You're like, oh. All that work I did is for nothing. There we go. <laughs> you quit going to the gym and you start going to the chocolate store. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Have you actually been to Ireland, seeing as I'm from lovely Ireland? Yes, I've been there uh, twice. Oh, have you? Oh, cool. Yeah. What, what parts were you in? I have been, uh, I went in 1989 for the first time. Oh, I wow. was in uh, Dublin, County Kerry, the Ring of Kerry, Lots through of Waterford them. and all of that. Oh, yeah. And then I went back in 2007. I was up around, uh, I, uh, let's see, Calmore Abbey. Oh, cool. Cool. Yes. Nice. How, how, what did you think of how much it changed? Because the 80s is way different than, <laughs> than now. Yeah. Yeah, everything was more, uh, I don't know, more advanced, progressive. And we even took a side trip. We were in Northern Ireland and went up to Belfast. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, Belfast so, is an interesting place. Did you, did you go to the Giant's Causeway? Lovely area. No, I didn't get to make it there. But uh, yeah, oh. I like to travel. So I've been to many places and I'm cool. always looking forward to the next trip. <laughs> yeah. I, c I could imagine. <laughs> well, we're getting into the whole um, area of what you're. Um, what, do you do? I do. I call you an exorcist. Is that the word? Do you use the term exorcist? Or is yes, it, yep. You actually do yep. use it. There's not like it's not. You're not using a different term now, no. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a real term. Yes. Okay. Okay. Like, so did you actually have to go to to Vatican or to Rome to to learn how to do it, or was there any like how did you get into it? Because it's a I'd say it's a fairly niche thing. It's not. Um, it's not. It's not the most yeah. uh, common thing in the world. My bishop appointed me back in two thousand and five, uh -huh. and the church says the best way to learn is through the apprenticeship model to train under a seasoned exorcist. But when I was appointed, I became only one of twelve in the United States, uh -huh. so there really wasn't anyone to mentor under. So then my bishop sent me to Rome. So in the early part of 2006, 
I lived in Rome for three months, and then I found a Franciscan priest who allowed me to shadow him, and then I set in on 40 exorcisms that he wow. performed while I was there. And then that allowed me to gain the understanding I needed to work with people who were up against the forces of evil and, and who were seeking the help of the church. Wow. What was, what was it like the first one that you did? <laughs> was there any was there any part of you I know this is an odd question seeing as you're a priest but was there any part of you that was skeptical Yeah you know you know an exorcist is trained to be a skeptic Okay the church says that you know the church could do greater harm if it labels somebody as being possessed and that um, label prevents the person from turning maybe to their family doctor the medical health profession or maybe to see a psychiatrist to address any mental health concerns. Right. So actually I'm trained to be a skeptic. In fact, the first exorcism I set in on, I was talking with a um, Italian lady and her husband, and this lady's telling me that why she believes that she's been become possessed. And I'm just listening, thinking it doesn't really, you know, okay, she says she's possessed, but I'm talking to her, she seems very fine and normal, yeah. so maybe that's not the case. And then the priest training me, he walked into the room and he put a roll of paper towels on the table and he walked back out and he came back in and he tied a plastic grocery bag onto the wall radiator and he walked out again and I'm looking at him and I'm talking to this lady and then this priest walks back in again and he has his brown Franciscan robes on and he puts a purple stole over his shoulders, kind of a sign of the priestly office. Then he picks up holy water and he blesses this lady. And when the, the water hit her, her eyes rolled in the back of her head. She began to foam at the mouth. She began to growl and snarl and cuss and scream and laugh. And then her eyes kind of refocused this pure hatred look on her face. And then looking at me, and, uh, and then the priest began the rite of exorcism. Whoa. And then I'm thinking, what in the world <laughs> is going on? And how did my bishop get me into all this? <laughs> So, so you actually, did you, when you say your bishop appointed you, did you go forward for, or did he just say, was it just, you, what, what was he said? He told, did he say he told me I was doing it. But when a Catholic priest, you are ordained, you promise obedience to your bishop and his successors. Ah. So my bishop said, I want you to do this. He goes, I have no idea what I'm asking you to do. But since my diocese has always had a priest in this role, and uh, the exorcist in Indianapolis died back in 2005. So oh. we knew the bishop was probably looking for a replacement. So all the priests were trying to avoid <laughs> being in contact with the bishop. And I said, tell people I must have been in the wrong place at the wrong time because the bishop said, I'm appointing you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, why, why, the, why would you put the plastic bag on the wall? What's that? Well, you know what he, did, what he did then? Because when the lady, when the demon manifests and started foaming at the mouth, then the priest, he stopped for just a moment. He reached over, tore a paper towel off. He wiped the mouth off of this woman, and then he threw it in the grocery bag, and then he just continued to pray. So ah. he expected all of that to happen. So that's kind of really the moral of the story is that he knew what to expect once the demon manifested, and right. he was prepared for it, and he really wasn't impressed. He didn't really paid too much attention. He wasn't concerned or alarmed. Because I'm over there thinking, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> He's you, like, business as usual. 
Do you follow that same like method that he followed, like putting the plastic bag up and t- tissue and all that kind of stuff? Uh, in some that I meet with, yes. So I'm prepared for whatever manifestation there might be. Because yeah. mas- manifestations can be varied. There can be eyes rolled in the back of the head, foaming at the mouth, growling and snarling. There can be uh, bodily contortions. There can be strong odors. There can be a change in the temperature of the room. It becomes much colder. Yeah. The voice of the person becomes deeper and more authoritative. It's always important to make the distinction when somebody's possessed between that person as an individual and now the demon who's using that person's body as if it were its own. So obviously when the demon manifested, it was no longer this Italian lady that was looking at me, but now the demon using the person's eyes to see, their mouth to speak, their ears to hear, their arms and their hands to give gestures. So it's always important to make the distinction between the person as an individual and now the demon who's using that body as if it were itself. Right. And so the demons that are possessing these people, do they do they ever say their names? Or have you ever had a time where you've someone's possessed somebody and that same demon is coming back into a different person? Part of it, if the if the exorcism can take longer, you know, there's a new rite of exorcism that came out in nineteen ninety-nine. So that's the most common one. The old rite of exorcism that dates back to the year 1614. In the old rite, the demons were commanded to name themselves. Because okay. when a demon names itself, it's actually showing weakness. Because when you know somebody's name, you have a certain power or control over them. So demons were always compelled to give their names to show that they were submitting to the power and the authority of God. Oh. And it is possible, I mean... People always ask, where do demons go when they're cast out? Well, they're not destroyed. It just means in an exorcism that the connection between that person and a particular demon or demons is broken. Because the church believes that when the demons fell from heaven, so the angels that fell, they were cast down to the earth, where they can then roam the earth, if you will, until the final judgment that will take place at the end of time. Okay. And... So when people are, you say they're, they're going, obviously at the moment they're getting exorcist, exercised, I should say, sorry. Um, do they speak in, in tongues? Like, would they speak Latin or is there any other language they would speak? Obviously that the person would have no knowledge of ever known it. Mm-hmm. Like if there's some Irish lad and he starts speaking Latin. <laughs> <laughs> or speaking in Gaelic or something, yeah, yeah whatever. Could yeah. be in like an ancient, like the ancient book of Kells, perhaps. Yeah, and yeah. He would be able to speak a language. So there are four things that I'm trained to look for. So you've just been touching on one of them, mm-hmm. the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, having superhuman strength, having elevated perception. So knowledge about things that that person as an individual would not otherwise know, which would tell me that this is a demon who's speaking to me and not this person anymore. Right. And then the final one is a negative reaction to anything of a sacred nature such as being in a church, having the Bible read in front of them, being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix, and so on. Right. Well, But if it's a language, it's usually a human language, even if it's yeah. not one that's spoken that much anymore, maybe like Latin or ancient Greek, for example. But yeah. it could be identified at some point to a point in human history where the language was spoken. 
because there is something called glossolalia, which is uh, speaking in tongues. Right. But that's considered to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but there's okay. a difference between somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking a language that there really is no human record of that language as the uh, you know, as compared to a demon who might be speaking an ancient language. Right. And why can demons do that? It's the nature of an angel. You know, when angels were created, they were given infused knowledge. They don't have to go to school and learn anything like you and I would have to do. They can just call it up like a computer, download it with information. So a demon doesn't have to go and study Latin. It can just immediately begin speaking it. Right. So, so like we say, someone who's because um, there's obviously people who have mental illness who actually think they're possessed. What would be yes. the kind of main difference that you would look out for? So there are people that you know maybe uh, put on the impression that they're possessed. Okay. Maybe they do that because they're mentally ill. Some people do that just because they want attention. Maybe they want to ridicule and mock the church and say, "Ah." I tricked you. See, I'm not really possessed. <laughs> That's why there's no such thing as an emergency exorcism. It's a very methodical process. So the church would require someone to have a psychiatric evaluation. The church would require a person to have a physical examination by a medical doctor. That's to rule out any medical or mental cause for what the person may be suffering. Because it is true that some of the same symptoms that we see in people who are possessed, you know, such as, you know, auditory outburst. We can see those in people that are suffering from schizophrenia, mm -hmm. maybe Tourette syndrome. So again, the church is always very cautious before the church labels someone as being possessed and needing an exorcism. Right. And, and going back to what you said a, a few minutes ago about the elevated strength, have you, have you, you've obviously encountered that, like, what's that like? Yeah, it's just, it's strength beyond the normal capacity of the individual. Right. I've seen a person that was possessed that when the demon manifested, the person was sitting in this very heavy metal swivel desk chair. Right. And then they jumped out of the chair and then grabbed it by one hand by the leg and then lifted it over their head. Wow. Other so times when the demon manifests, it may take like five or six people to try to control the person so that the exorcism can continue okay and that's a clear indication that's obviously that's not that individual now there is an entity that's using this person's body as if it were its own right have, have you ever um exercised someone who is an atheist you know again usually you know i currently get about 3500 uh requests a year for people really? who believe they're possessed wow and it's because I'm publicly known, so I get more. Yeah. I, mean, I get emails from all over the world. I mean, I've gotten emails this week from people in the Mideast, from Australia, from India, the UK. So they come from all over. For me, I really don't work with somebody unless they're connected with some faith tradition. Okay. Because really, exorcism is a matter of faith. Because ultimately, it's easy easy part is to cast the demon out right the harder part is to get a person to want to invite god into their life and if a person is an atheist and exorcism is a matter of faith then it really is not going to work too well because the exorcist cannot be treated like a magician 
I don't have any special powers and abilities. The power comes from God. But sometimes people that might be an atheist might think, well, I know I'm having a problem. I don't want anything to do with God, but maybe the priest can help me. But again, in an exorcism, we would say, Jesus is not a bystander. He's the main actor. So somebody would have to actually must have maybe a desire to invite God into their lives. And that's all part of the protocol that's used. So I mentioned earlier to have a psychiatric evaluation to see their medical doctor. I would meet with somebody to do an intake questionnaire to determine if this is demonic. What did the person do that opened up that entry point for the demonic into their life? I would look for those four extraordinary signs of demonic possession, speaking languages otherwise unknown to the individual, superhuman strength, elevated perception, a negative reaction to anything of a sacred nature. And step number five is to either help the person grow in holiness and virtue through faith and either reconnect them with their faith in God or bring them to that faith for the very first time. So for me to work with somebody, the person does have to express a desire to want to invite God into their life. Right. I I read um, somewhere that it said since COVID exorcisms have gone up. Is that true? For me, it has. I know. Really? So before COVID, I was only getting 2,000 uh, calls for help every year. Yeah. Now it's 3,500. I think wow. the reason is a lot of people found themselves in isolation, disconnected yeah. with family and loved ones. And maybe that just caused some mental breakdown, if you will. I know like here in the United States, many people, you know, if somebody died, they couldn't go to the funeral. The loved ones in the hospital, they couldn't visit them in the hospital. Yeah. So a lot of people just found themselves isolated. Mm. And so that's why it's so important to make the distinction between, if you want to use the term, the demonic and the demented. You know, is it truly something of an evil nature or is it of a mental health issue? And ultimately, the person needs the true help they need, whether that's spiritual health, physical health, or mental health. I think a lot of people presume that because I'm a Catholic priest and I'm the exorcist, if they tell me that they're possessed, that I'm going to believe that. Right. But again, I have to come to that conclusion myself. I can't just accept someone's self-diagnosis. So there is a protocol, steps that I need to follow. The church says that I need to believe beyond a doubt that the person in front of me is truly dealing with the demonic. Yeah. I have to have that moral certitude, if you will, before I would actually begin using the rite of exorcism. Right. And what's it like when you exorcise someone? Does the demon go away straight away? Or how how does the person's expression and body look afterwards? <laughs> you know, just because somebody's possessed doesn't mean they manifest all the time. Okay. To be possessed means that someone has done something that gave a demon or demons permission to operate within their life. So somebody's possessed could be going through the normal everyday life. They could be going to work or school, you know, going out shopping, you name it, cleaning the house. Right. But then something will trigger the demon to manifest. Even everything the church does in an exorcism, such as blessing the person with holy water, is meant to force the demon to reveal itself. Because once the demon reveals itself, then the battle against the demon will begin. 
Right. Have you ever put actual just normal water on them and checked what happened? <laughs> I do that sometimes to test people. Really? Because I know whether it's been blessed or not. The okay. demon will know that. But okay. that person as an individual will not otherwise know that. So exorcist, if, if you will, we have a few tricks up our sleeves okay. that we use to reach that moral certitude that beyond a doubt is truly something of a demonic nature. So if I bless somebody with this ordinary tap water and the person starts howling and screaming, then that might be an indication that this person is either trying to fool me or they're dealing with a mental health issue. Right. Have you exercised any anyone from another religion? Or are, you, are you actually allowed to do that? How does that work? As long as the, uh, the person is uh, requesting help. Yeah. So the Catholic Church says that the ministry of exorcism is a ministry of charity. So okay. the church can help anyone who turns to her. And obviously we're going to operate within what the church believes. So the right isn't adapted to somebody else, else's faith tradition. So I've worked with uh, half the people who contact me are not Catholic. All they right. come from other Christian faith traditions. They come from other world religions. Some come from no faith background whatsoever. But again, as long as they're asking for the help of the church, and if I believe that they're truly dealing with the demonic, then I would help them. But again, I would want to make sure that they are connected with either their faith community, a home church, where they can receive ongoing pastoral care. Because the people I work with, I can't just work with them for the rest of my life or their life. Yeah. You know, they're going to need ongoing care. Just like if you're, if you're sick, you go see your doctor. And then your doctor may say, hey, your situation is more complex. Mm -hmm. I want to send you to a specialist. And then you go and see the specialist. Then eventually you come back under the care of your own family doctor. So I would want people that I work with to have some type of pastor or minister who's going to be able to provide them with ongoing pastoral care. Because otherwise, they might come and go through the exorcism, think everything's okay. And then they just kind of go back to their normal activities. And the danger might be that they could uh, reinvite that demonic back into their life. Okay. Have you have you seen that happen? Has anyone actually got possessed again that's got exercised? <laughs> what, what do they call that? Being repossessed? <laughs> Has anyone got repossessed? <laughs> the people I've worked with, I would say no. Right. But I think it's because I'm very methodical. And the people I work with, there are people that get angry and upset with me because yeah. they say, I don't want to follow your procedures. I just want you to do this. Okay. But again, I have to operate on my terms, not on their terms. Right. And only when things aren't done properly is when things do not turn out very well. Have you ever been like really scared? Was there a moment you were like really scared? I think early on when I first came back from Rome. Yeah, You know, when I was sitting in on the exorcisms in Rome, I could always rely on that other priest. He was in charge to take care of things. Yeah. But then when I came back to the States and began doing this ministry and then realizing, okay, it's just me. There's not the priest who trained me. He's not here. I can't rely on him. Yeah. So initially, there was some apprehensive, some fear. But now that I've been doing this ministry, I'm now in my 18th year. Wow, and I would say that I'm not I'm not afraid of any of this. There's a normal reaction, you know, if somebody jumps at you and says, "Boo!" You're gonna, you know, be startled. Mm. But 
to me, that's a normal human reaction. But to actually be afraid, the answer is no. Oh, I think I'd be afraid. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, damn. <laughs> what, what's, what's the most intense exorcist, exorcist, God, exorcism you've ever done? Was there one that was just like went on long or just something crazy happened? Well, you know, there's a, each one is different and distinct. Mm. I mean, I did one recently. I, I shared this story uh, with others before that when the demon manifested itself, the person's eyeball turned green and wow. the people became flying it like a serpent. And, you know, the demon says to me, you can't get rid of us. We've been here too long and you're not strong enough. And then begin to laugh and howl and scream. Yeah. Wow. So I've, I've seen examples of so eyes turning green, people's being slanted like a serpent. I've witnessed levitation when a demon manifests. The bot person's body began to rise out of the chair. Uh, other examples when demons manifest, the person's body drops to the ground and begins to slither like a snake. Did, did, and all did, of these things are really meant to instill fear mm. because the demon doesn't want to be cast out it wants to stay where it is so it's trying to show that it's stronger than the exorcist stronger than the power of god just so that it will be left alone mm -hmm. uh, do, do you so, uh, oh, sorry no i was going to say so over the years i've learned not to really focus on what the demon is doing or the, all the theatrics but to really stay focused on the prayer of the church and what God wants to do for this person, which ultimately is to free them from this evil. Hey, has, has there ever been an exorcism where the actual devil possessed somebody? Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? You know, the devil goes by many different terms. He goes, he can go by Beelzebul, means Lord of the Flies. And where do we see flies around things that are dead? Okay. And the devil is considered to be, you know, the father of death. Is Mephisto is Mephisto a name for the devil, or is that someone else? Mephisto. Mephistopheles, Mephistopheles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Thanks. yeah, there are many different terms, and um, I was a, uh, I talked to a, I was working with another priest in another area of the United States, who asked me to sit in on and give my input, and there were two demons that manifested in this man okay one said he was beelzebul which would be satan and the other one was molech which was a uh, an ancient demon where people used to sacrifice the children to and at one point the demon molech began doing this chant, like in a language that i didn't understand wow. and then the demon says to me that it's giving glory to beelzebul in its own language because beelzebul is the highest ranking of all the demons and it wants to show glory to Beelzebub. Wow. And did the guy that was possessed, does he remember any of this? Can he remember? Does he remember oh yeah, like, some do. Yeah. You know, some people that are possessed, they remember everything, but they're like a prisoner trapped in their body okay. where they can't do anything to stop it. Others tell me that once the demon manifests, they don't remember anything that happens. So okay. it can go one way or the other and it just really depends. Okay. So some people remember and some do not. So we'll say someone's kind of more agnostic than anything. After they, you know, they're, they're, if you're probably agnostic, you're going to be open-minded about every, you know, all aspects of it. Would people who 
that you've, if you have exercised people who are agnostic, would they become kind of religious after being exercised or has that ever happened? You know, I've, I've talked to agnostics, even to atheists. Yeah. But ultimately, they decided not to go through an exorcism. Really? I thought an agnostic yeah. would be more open-minded than that now. Well, and the reason was because they didn't really want to turn to God. Oh, they knew okay. they didn't want the demonic in their life. But they even said they didn't really want to turn to God. You know, there's a line in Luke's gospel in the New Testament. It's in chapter 11 where it says, once the demon has been cast out, it goes and wanders through the arid wasteland and then coming back and finding the house swept clean, meaning it's gone, that God hasn't been invited in. Then it goes and finds seven other demons worse than itself, and they come and take up residence in the person. So when I work with people, I tell them they have to have the strong desire to invite God in. Otherwise, their situation could become seven times as worse based on that account and what's gospel. And usually when people hear that, they think, Okay, then I, at this point, I'm not going to go through an exorcism. Right, right. Do you, after you do the exorc- ex- exorcism, do you, uh, do you feel like drained or how does that feel? Absolutely, because it can go on for hours. Really? You know, usually how, when I, when how I long meet normally? somebody. What would be the normal, sorry I interrupted you there, what would be the yep. normal um, time, average time, we'll say, of an exorcist, exorcism? You know, in in Rome, the priest who trained me would only meet with people 30 minutes. Right. He would pray with them for 30 minutes if the demon wasn't cast out. Then he would reschedule another appointment with them maybe two weeks later. You know, every exorcism session provides some benefit. It will weaken the demon, even if it doesn't cast it out at that point. And why isn't it being cast out? It may be that the person allowed the demon to really become entrenched into their life. Maybe the person is still doing something they shouldn't be doing that is giving the demon the right to continue to possess them. So I always want to figure out, okay, maybe after 30 or 60 minutes, if the person isn't free, then, okay, why is the demon not leaving? What authority is the person still given to that demon, either directly or indirectly, meaning they don't really want to let go of it or Maybe they're doing something like continuing to practice, you know, magic or things of the occult, mm-hmm. which is giving permission to the demon to continue to afflict them. Okay. You know, sometimes people aren't always forthright. They don't tell me everything I need to know. I mean, I try to pull it out of them and in our discussions and yeah. to try to better understand their situation. But sometimes people are embarrassed. And I always say that I'm not there to judge somebody about yeah. what they did and they have brought this on. But for me to be able to help them, I need to know the total picture. Because then that allows me to know what I need to do so that this person can become free from these demonic forces. So does does, does things in people's lives actually bring it on? Yes. Yeah. The choices that people make, the things they do. You know, there can be... Uh, Many entry points, some of the ones that I've seen over the years that seem to be more dominant, will tie to the occult. So people are engaging in things of the paranormal, maybe magic, witchcraft, and that type of stuff. Like Ouija boards and all that kind of stuff. 
Yes, you know, going to see a psychic or a medium and whatnot. Entertainment industry, you know, there's a great fascination with evil and the devil these days. Yeah, and the demonic play on the person's memory and imagination. So when people practice, you know, whether it's watching movies or games or books, they're putting all that stuff in their head. And then because the devil can work on a person's memory and imagination, then the devil can use these things to try to instill fear or to make a connection with that person. Being cursed is another one. Being dedicated to a demon, either by yourself or by someone else. Uh, abuse, which can cause somebody to turn away from God and maybe turn to the forces of evil, try to find help. Broken relationships. You know, we all deal with brokenness, but do we deal with it in a healthy manner, such as trying to seek forgiveness and healing, or do we give in bitterness, anger, resentment, revenge? These are the very things that the demonic would feed upon. So I try to really understand a person's situation so I know how best to help them. Can you see, um, we'll say a skeptic's point of view, when we kind of live in an age where everything has to be seen, and I know the Catholic Church doesn't allow things to be filmed. Do you you think it would ever, do you think they'll ever get to a place where it could be filmed? I know that sounds probably, you're cutting the the rules there. (laughs) I don't know, but... You know, my, my initial response would be, even if they were filmed, I think there would be people who say, well, that's not genuine. It's been manipulated. It's yeah, been you doctor. It's manufactured. You know, because right now with technology, a lot of things can be manufactured, mm. if you will. So I think there will always be skeptics, no matter what. You know, there's a new movie coming out called The, um, the Pope's Exorcist. That's what Russell Crowe, isn't it? Yes, and it's based on the life of Father Gabriel Amorth. He was the uh, chief exorcist in Rome who died in 2016. Now, supposedly, there was a man who has a video who said that Father Amorth gave him permission to film an exorcism. I think you can find it out on the web, in fact. But it's very granular. It's not very good. Right, right. It looks like somebody did it with their cell phone, maybe kind (laughs) of secretly. So he claims that he had permission to do that, but Army wonders if that's true because if you're an exorcist and you're trying to defeat the devil and you're being disobedient, mm. well, disobedience and fighting the devil are a very bad combination. Okay, okay. And before before I let you go, one more question: um, Do you think being an exorcist has made your faith stronger? Absolutely, I would say so. Yeah, I think it's reinforced the notion of priesthood as a vocation. You know, the word vocation means a calling from God. We do what we do because we believe God has called us to do it. I think there are many priests throughout the world today that maybe for various reasons fall into the trap of seeing priesthood as an occupation. It's Mm -hmm. just something I do for a living or pass my time. But again, for me, being the exorcist has reinforced the notion of priesthood as a vocation, a calling from God. So people say to me, well, why did you become a priest? And my answer is because it's what I believe God wanted me to do with my life. Right. And have you any, I know, odd question, have you any exorcisms lined up in the future? (laughs) You know, I I got caught up on all my emails yesterday. I had 25 that I still um, needed to respond to. Okay. I did that last night. So uh, I don't have any major exorcisms lined up. I mean, I pray with people all the time. I bless people's homes. 
you know, there's four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. We've been talking about possession, mm-hmm. but there is something called infestation, the presence of evil in the location. So maybe uh-huh. if someone wants their home blessed because strange things are happening there. There can be demonic vexation, which are physical attacks that one believes they're receiving from a demon, and then demonic obsession, which are mental attacks that one is receiving from a demon. So when it comes to the infestation, vexation, and obsession, I'm doing these exorcisms all the time. The true cases of demonic possession are rare. They do happen, but they're extremely rare, maybe one out of every 5,000 cases. And again, I would say I probably see more than the average exorcist because I'm publicly known. So there would be more people that are more likely to reach out to me than perhaps the exorcist in their area. Because not all all exorcists are publicly known. Some of them don't want, like, the volume of people that I deal with. They would prefer not to have Yeah, But uh, to me, being public on it is a way to help educate and teach people about what the church believes. And then what people do with that is up to them. But at least it's clear where the church stands about the reality of evil and the practice of exorcism. Right. Well, well, I, I thank you, Father, for doing this. It's been a it's been a great chat. I really appreciate your time. Um, really enjoyed it. So, thank you very and much. And you're for... where are you in Ireland again? I'm in the west coast of Sligo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the west. Okay. Yeah, on the west. So, uh, by the sea, nice and quiet. That's a good place to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's a tiny little place. But you're still in the town where you grew up. Yeah, I did move to Dublin and I've been to around different places. I lived in Dublin for a good few years, but, uh, you know, I kind of, I'm a bit of a home bird, but I'll probably move again sometime, yeah. you know, but we'll see for the time being, you know. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah, well, th- well it's, been a, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, thank you very much and uh, happy Easter. Thanks to you as well. All right. Thanks, Father. Goodbye. All right, Paul. God Bye-bye. bless. Bye. Thank you.